Welcome back to another episode of Husky Talk. She lives off the grid on the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska with her partner, Tim Osmar. She is an Iditarod veteran and took a year off last year to travel across the state by dog team with Tim. Please welcome to the show, Monica Zappa. Hello, Monica. Welcome to Husky Talk. Hi there. How are you guys this morning? Good. Good. Before we start our interview with you, we are going to test your Iditarod knowledge. We have five Iditarod questions for you. Ready? Well, I'm very ready. Um, go ahead. Who was the first female champion in the Iditarod? Okay, well, I know who that is. It is Libby Riddle. Yes. She uh, won in 1985, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, oh, I think I did my homework. I think I know the answers to all the questions. I think, if I can remember right, we have Cripple as the halfway point. We have Kool-Aid as the finish line. We have, oh, I'm trying to think of them all. Um, we have, oh, I know the other one. Hold on, hold on. Uh, oh, I might need a reminder on what the other questions were. How many mushrooms? Oh, two, two minutes. Yeah. Two minutes apart. <laughs> right? Two minutes apart, yeah. except for the ceremonial start with the commercials. There's three. Okay, with, there's one more. I know there's one more. I can't remember right now. Um, the finish line. Who had the fastest finish line? And the fastest finish line. The fastest, oh, fastest finish, finish line. Finish time. Mitch CV um, on the Fairbanks route. So I listened to some of your podcasts. So I didn't mean to trick you, but I know you guys did homework. So I did. I did some homework too. I didn't listen to all, of them, but I listened to some of them. They're really good. Bonus points for you. Thanks. Have you ever had any mushers that listened to the podcast before? One. <laughs> Is that me? Mm. <laughs> That's enough too. Yeah, no, I I really I felt like I really learned a lot. So I'm gonna keep listening to them. Um, so maybe I can quiz you on a couple of the ones that I listened to, <laughs> if you guys don't mind. Um, uh, some of the some of the facts that stood out. Um, one of the one of the questions I have. Do you remember how many times Jesse Royer's gone up and down the? Um, the Alaska Highway this year? No, I don't. Seven. Oh my Is that not unbelievable? Seven with horses and dogs. He has a place in Fairbanks and a place down in Montana. Okay, do you remember? Um, I don't know if you guys did these interviews or not, but then did you do Jesse Royer? This group of kids didn't, but yes, we, we did Jesse Royer, yeah. Do you remember what her first sled dog team had in it besides a dog? Hmm. No. Tell a goat. A goat. Yeah. Nice. She was going to okay. guess a donkey. <laughs> donkey would be a good guess. Yeah, she had a ranch, and she hooked up her billy goat. That's right. So that was kind of interesting. <clears throat> um, do you remember, how about Karin? Did you guys interview Karin? Yep. Okay. What's her favorite song? Oh. <laughs> No, 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 it's the one. name. It's the, isn't the name of her kennel? Yeah. Yep. You guys remember that one? Uh, 
It's a rock and roll song. Karen. Her. Uh-huh. Did anyone in here do Karen? The name uh, of we her change, channel. We change out quite a bit every few I weeks. I know. That's what I thought. Yeah. I know. I was like, I'm never gonna get the kids to do. What, what, what <laughs> was the name of that song? It's Blue on Black. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Well, How about us. Meredith Mapes? This is the last question. Do you remember her, her uh, favorite music group she likes to listen to? This was one the kids got excited about because they liked it too. Oh, Frank. What's your favorite musical? Hamilton. 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 Yep, that's <laughs> it. So, <laughs> okay, good job. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd trick you, you guys a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Great job on the trivia. You were five out of five. Now, now to find out a little bit more about you. Mm-hmm. Can can you start by telling us a little bit about you? Well, I can. Um, I I know that you guys have done your homework too, so um, I'm going to try to tell you stuff that you might not have uh, found out about me. Uh, let's see. Do you know I grew up without electricity in Wisconsin? No. Mm-hmm. Yep. We grew up in. I grew up in a cabin in the woods in Wisconsin. I did go to public school, but we did not have electricity or TV, which was, you know, for the '90s, that was that was kind of a big deal. Um, and my parents had a sled dog team there, so that's how I got into mushing. Um, I spent many, many, many hours riding the basket while I was growing up. Um, I didn't I didn't really get to do a lot of mushing myself by the time I got big enough to do that. My parents had uh, sold off the dogs to some other local mushers and just kind of moved on to other things, but it was definitely the inspiration uh, for me um, when I did decide that I wanted to get back into mushing. Um, all those all those childhood um, memories and um, just all the good times with the dogs um, definitely came back. So, yeah, that's a little bit about growing up. And um, I moved back to Alaska, or I moved to Alaska in 2010. I was 27 and just... Needing a break from from the college um, life and just wasn't really sure what my next direction was. So made it to Alaska, decided I was going to try it for a year, and that was nine and a half years ago. Talk to us about what inspired you to get involved with mushing in the Iditarod. Uh-huh. Um, well, you know, like I said, the inspiration for getting involved with mushing was definitely my... Um, Growing up, my formative years, that my parents um, were mushers. They participated in the Bear Grace, which is starting now. I don't know if you guys are following it, but it's a a bigger race down um, in Minnesota, so it'd be a good one to follow. And they participated in that, and then they were also, um, once they didn't have dogs anymore, they were were judges, officials in that. So they stayed involved in mushing and just kind of became really in my blood, so that that was the ultimate inspiration. There wasn't really necessarily like one thing that got me interested in, in mushing. It just was always a part of my life. But I did a rod in specifically um, was something my dad had wanted to do uh, when I was young. You know, he had a he had a dream to do it or whatnot. But then, like I said, things kind of you know, like took a different direction and got involved in other stuff and. So he never did. He never did um, 
Race Me Iditarod, and he actually uh, passed away in 1999, so uh, that wasn't an option for him anymore. And um, I never had thought that I was, you know, wanting to do that. I just, it wasn't something that was really on my radar. Um, even when I had moved to Alaska to, to run dogs, it really wasn't something that I even thought about was running the Iditarod until, um, I think it was 2012, um, we went to watch the start. It was my, my first time watching the start of Iditarod. And, and I had been mushing with Tim for uh, two seasons at that point. And so I was you know, really learning about what racing is all about and what taking care of the dog team is all about. And so when I watched the Iditarod, I got, I got hooked. I, got, <laughs> I was, I was really emotional and I was like, I really want to do this, but I didn't really see a path forward for me being able to do it. Um, mainly financially. So it, I was actually kind of sad cause I was like, I really, you know, I really want to do this, but I just don't see any way possible. Um, but, you know, I just planted the seed, and I, the next year, I guess, um, somehow get off my qualifiers, and then 2014, I was able to, you know, fundraise enough and do my first Iditarod. That's great. We see you have done the Iditarod four times now. Tell us about what it's been like for you. Well, I finished four times. I started five. I had one non-finish um, scratch in Chattulik. That was that was of all the Iditarods that stands out the most um, because it was you know the one we didn't finish. But um, I learned the most, and I learned the most about my dog team and the importance of keeping the dynamics um, balanced. And and what had happened there is I had some. I'd females in heat, which just was a um, kind of a tipping point for some males but not getting along, and that happened throughout the trail. I had I had quarreling dogs, and then that kind of trickled down to the other females' attitudes, and all of a sudden everybody was just not focused on running. So, um, yeah, I, I learned the most on that one. Um, and then uh, last year, actually. I didn't race in the Iditarod, but my partner and I did our own independent trip from Nenana to Nome, which was along the original serum route. And that was really interesting, too, because, um, you know, not only was it an independent trip, but I, you know, had to do, we had to do all the logistics of sending our food out and finding people to send it to and all the little things that Iditarod takes care of and, and getting straw out to the checkpoints and just a lot of things that you don't really think about when you're on the race. So that was kind of a really cool experience, too. So um, even though, you know, four Iditarods, that's, that's still something. But this year, I, I claim technically this will be my seventh trip down the trail. So, um, and, and also Blue Steel, my leader's seventh trip down the trail, which, you know, a lot of teams have that have been doing this a long time have, have dogs and leaders that have done more than that. Um, but I still think that's kind of something that's, that's special um, for, for my team uh, to have that experience. And um, just about the experience of Iditarod in general, it's definitely grown on me. And I took that break last year and it was, it was nice to kind of just not have to worry about the whole uh, you know, getting, getting the sponsors and, and, 
you know, everything that goes along with that. Um, well, I always appreciate it, and I always, um, you know, I, I love that people get so into um, following the team and the race and everything like that. It's It also brings a whole lot of, you know, just extra uh, stress and whatnot, you know, that everybody's watching you and thinking about that. It's kind of, I don't know, it's just, it's just an interesting feeling, um, kind of being in that spotlight uh, versus versus maybe just doing the trail and not being in the spotlight. Um, that's kind of one of the, I don't know, it's one of the things that I've learned, you know, about just about the race and kind of what comes with it and also kind of mentally grappling with all of that and the pressures of it. And even though I'm not, like, top of the pack or anything like that it, there is still a lot of there's a lot of people there's a lot of eyes on you watching I mean I know all of you guys are going to be watching me and I'll probably think about you guys when I'm going down the trail so it's kind of it's just a crazy thing how else would that be possible like what else could I be doing that you know classrooms across the country are, are watching what I'm doing out in the middle of nowhere it's just it's a really interesting concept we know that your partner, Tim, is quite the musher himself. What is it like working with such an experienced musher? <laughs> yeah, yep. Guys have definitely done your homework. Ted, do you know how many I did around he's done? Finished? No. No. 23. Is that crazy? Yeah. It is to me, yeah. He did. He uh, started when he was 18, and um, he actually hasn't ran for, well, over 10 years uh, since I've been with him. So, yeah, he he definitely was all in on Iditarod in his younger years. Uh, it's been a great experience working with him. He, um, you know, his kind of teaching style is, is much more hands-off, I guess, approach. You could say he definitely wants you to learn for yourself. Um, and, you know, when I was first getting my experience in my first couple of races, I would ask him, you know, specific questions all the time, like, oh, what do you, how long should I rest here? Um, what do you do in this kind of a situation? And, you know, he wouldn't really have answers for me, and I was kind of, like, confused. I'm like, you know, you must have been through this. How come, how come you don't know what to tell me or whatever? And, you know, I just learned that he, he just knew that for me to really learn all these, all these little scenarios and details um, that go with it, you have to experience it yourself. And over the years of my own running, I've totally learned that. Like, for an example, the year that I scratched, it was just it was lessons that nobody could have, I mean, they could have told me, but had I actually known what to do with that information, I don't think so. I think it's something where, you know, unless you're in that actual situation, it's, it's not like a real lesson. Um, so, you know, working with him has been incredible. Um, it, you know, we're a good team. We have 40 dogs. It takes a lot. Um, and we don't have handlers. And so, yeah, I, I definitely couldn't do it without him. And, yeah, it's kind of been a journey for both of us, I think. Um, you know, a little bit of a transition for him, having me, me being the one racing. Um, but he's 100% supportive and, you know, does absolutely everything that he can to help uh, train the team, which is incredibly valuable. And I think we're at a point now um, where we, we're really, I wouldn't say total equals, but when it comes to our um, our own dog team, we really are equals. Um, 
because we both know the dogs equally as well. We both um, have raised these dogs um, together, and, you know, we're at the point where um, I can make suggestions about, you know, certain things, and, and you know, he's really open to, to the new ideas, and so that's really awesome, and it's kind of it's kind of always a trial and error thing. You, you try new things, and either they work or they don't, and um, so that's kind of been a lot of fun, you know, working through all the trial trial and errors together, and you know his his experience, and he you always know, has some great stories to share. Um, so I know later in the podcast, you can ask me who I would suggest to interview. Of course, I would suggest him because um, yeah, he's he's just a great uh, character in the missing world and he does have some incredible stories. Um, he's not always that good at talking. I'm definitely the talker in the relationship so he might have to be strategic to get to get him to open up but I would suggest him and then his dad as well. I don't know if you know Dean Osmar but he was the uh, have you heard of Dean Osmar? Yeah. And did you know he was a Diderot champion? Yes. And do you know what year? No, we don't. I always get confused because Olivia was 85, right? Yeah. I think he was 84. Yep, it was the year before her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really been kind of fun to, you know, have him and my family, too, and and all of his experience. Um, and he's still, he still has dogs and is mustang, too. And so I find that of all things one of the most incredible um, is the fact that you know Tim and Dean um, have have had sled dogs for I think they got their first dogs in like 78 or 9 and they both had dogs this entire time so the longevity that they have is definitely it's incredibly impressive to me um, because this is a hard hard lifestyle really hard um i know a lot of times it gets uh you know all the positives get talked about and maybe a little fantasized about and whatnot but the reality is it is hard and to you know have people that have been in the game and not gotten out of dogs not sold out of dogs not, you know been in it solid for what are we looking at like 40 years 50 years 50 years for being right i mean it's crazy so they're great guys. Um, I feel really special. I feel really, you know, honored, I guess, uh, that I'm able to, you know, be, be so close and, and learn from some of the best. You said earlier you took a break from the Iditarod last year. We hear that you took mm-hmm. a trip with your dog team across Alaska. Can you tell mm-hmm. us about that trip, where you went, who you went with, where you stayed, et cetera? Yeah, okay, great. Um, well, yeah, like I said, we started in Nimana, um, which is just south of Fairbanks, and that's where the train goes, where the original CRM run route went. And we have a friend there, Bill Cotter. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but he's a longtime musher and a good friend of Tim's. And so we stayed with him before the trip and kind of left almost right out of his yard. His uh, trails, they hook into um, to the to the main route. And so we, yeah, we started there, and 
it was me and Tim. Uh, Tim was running snow machine, hauling gear. I was running a dog team, and then we had a couple other guys with us, um, two, uh, four people total. Um, Jason was a friend of ours who also ran snow machine. Um, he ended up having some engine troubles, and we sent him in a snow machine back in Uniclete. Um, turns out dogs are more reliable than snow machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And then we had another dog team who was a, a friend of ours from Anchorage who had not run a dead rod before but had mushed before, and it was kind of, he's kind of an explorer type, and, it, and so it was, it was a collective dream, but it really kind of started with him. Um, you know, saying I want to do something different. I want to do a long expedition type trip, and so he ran a dog team as well. So it was two dog teams with twenty four dogs and two snow machines to help haul gear because we didn't send out gear uh, and food like every fifty miles like you do an Iditarod. I think we sent out three main food drops and then a little bit of stuff in between, but really three places that we sent out meat. So we, we had to have those snow machines to help us haul everything um, between between the places that we sent our stuff out. So it was just you know, a different way to do it. Um, yeah, I learned a lot on that one too. It was, we, we ran about 50 miles a day, so it was about half the running. I mean, a few days we ran a little further or whatever, but that was probably average. So it was probably average about half the distance that you run on a dinner So it was a lot, lot less demanding on the dogs and the people, which is which was nice. The whole idea was to run just in the daylight and just kind of be able to enjoy the trail and be really like good on sleep, not have to be sleep deprived. That was one of the things I learned most was because I kept thinking, okay, I was here, you know, I was in these places the years before on Idera, and I remember I remember remembering how tired I was. Like, oh my God, I was falling asleep here, and I was just delirious here. <laughs> and, and so, when I was on the trail, fully rested, that was one of the main things that kind of stood out to me. Like, wow, you are just so tired on a dinner rod. It sucks. <laughs> it really does. Being sleep deprived sucks. Um, so it was, it was nice to not have to do that. Um, yeah, we got like eight hours, maybe nine hours sometimes of sleep. I was sick for a couple of days. I think I slept like 12 hours. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was really sweet. Uh, and then four people to take care of two teams. That was pretty sweet, too. Um, but I, I don't know. I just kind of missed the camaraderie of the other mushers and stuff and just the excitement of the checkpoints and, and all of that. And... Just, uh, just wanted to, you know, I got this, a lot of young dogs. I wanted to see how they're going to do in the race. But, um, yeah, I guess you can ask me after I do it again, which I would prefer, not that I get to be reminded what it's like to be sleep deprived. It's probably going to, I'm probably going to say it's more fun to do it at a leisurely pace. Um, but there were some challenges. Um, major challenge was the fact that uh, we were ahead of the race. And a lot of the trail that we've been done wasn't part of the race, and we knew that. So we got all the way to the coast, and we had sort of assumed that the race was going to sort of catch up with us because we were going slower. And and they did to some extent, but it was really slow last year. And so we stayed a couple days ahead of, of the race, and we had also assumed that they would have put trail markers out a couple days before the racers came. And we had assumed that the Iron Dog Snow Machine Race would have trail markers still up. Well, 
one one lesson in my life that I've always learned and had to remind myself on this one is make no assumptions because that's not how it was. There was no trail markers. And we were running on the coast and there was storms. There was major storms. And we got lost out there. Um, we we had one night we got lost out there and in a snowstorm and it was pretty scary actually. We knew we were not on the trail anymore and uh, we, we just had to hunker down and camp, um, kind of take one of those wilderness uh, lessons to heart, which is, you know, when you're lost out in a storm, don't keep walking in circles. You're going to exhaust yourself. You're going to get wet and tired. And so we did. We, we hunkered down and camped, um, built a fire for the evening, and um, got up in the morning, and luckily we were able to, the, the sky cleared a little bit, and we were able to go out and explore a little bit with the snow machine, luckily, and, and found the trail. We're about two miles off the trail. So that was an interesting experience. Um, and then that was the only time I got lost, but yeah, just there was no trail markers to follow. So if unless there was an established trail with local traffic, um, which there was, but there were so many storms, uh, the trail was blown in. Um, yeah, it just kind of made it made the reality of uh, being out in in the wilderness and those kind of a situation um, very real, you know. You are back at the Iditarod this year. Are you doing any races to prepare for the long journey across Alaska? Um, good question. I'm not doing any races this year. Um. Just, just focusing on Iditarod, uh, kind of <laughs> pretty busy. <laughs> Picked up a new career since I was mushing last. I'm selling real estate, a real estate agent, and I've been, I've been pretty swamped um, with all my work on that. And so that's kind of made it harder to get away. Um, and the other thing is, I'm just, I don't know how much you guys follow the other races, but it's just tough um, with the lack of snow. Um, we have snow, but not that much. A lot of our trails have gravel on them and stuff, and so you really want to even have a race on our trails. And turns out the Trustamina 200, which had been running for I don't know 30 years or so, is is now not happening anymore. It's uh, it's indefinitely canceled. So that was usually the main race that we did because it was close to home um, to prepare for. But uh, that's not an option this year. Um, a lot of the early season races in December, which um, would, you know, as far as locality, would be options. Uh, I wasn't able to do because I was I was really busy um, in December with with my work. Um, and yeah, now just just focusing on training and food drops. And I know a lot of other mushers are somehow able to do food drops for multiple large races and drive themselves across Alaska and do it all but um i still kind of want this to be a little bit fun so i'm not doing that <laughs> that's that's intense man i mean it, it takes a you have to have an absolute crew to be able to pull off what a lot of these mushers do um you know i look at posts um uh, michelle um and ed um they're from canada and they're doing both races and yeah, Allie and Alan often do both races, and just multiple, multiple um, kennels do, you know, 
Yukon Quest and Iditarod and Copper Basin and Cusco and I mean that's that's really intense. That's, I can't even imagine doing all that. Tim has done both, <coughs> uh, both the thousand mile races before, um, but yeah, he had he had staff back home, and that's the other challenge for us is. We don't have a handler at home, so we have, you know, when you have dogs that aren't, you know, inevitably there's going to be cuts made and you can't bring all the dogs with you. Um, we don't have anybody to take care of the dogs, so, I mean, it's, it's a real uh, favor to ask somebody to take care of our extra dogs, um, and we will have to do that before I get around, you know, when he comes to know them and, and whatnot, but we just, we just don't have um, somebody to help us out full-time. So that's kind of a big factor. Uh, we're trying to get to a point of being able to take all of our dogs everywhere. That's like kind of our goal is to have like 28 dogs, I think, and enough to just fit in the truck and we'll just take them everywhere. And I think that will make our life a lot better. But yeah, we're not quite there right now. Um, so we just kind of have to work within our personal limitations. And yeah, doing a lot of other races right now are not a possibility. And you know, in some ways it's good, in some ways it's bad. Um, you know, the, the dogs aren't going to have that intense experience um, of running the long miles on the trail with the other teams day after day, which is, you know, great practice for them and the musher. But um, the other thing is, you know, maybe maybe I won't have injuries as much because um, a lot of those other races are on really intense trails. Um, I ran Copper Basin before, and injured dogs on that is you go up and down this mountain it's just crazy and um i'm, I'm happy that I, that I didn't run it this year especially because it was 60 below and you know that's another way to injure dogs is have them get frostbite so my team is in tip-top shape um i would love to say i haven't had any injuries but last yesterday on the training run i got my buddy's on the couch here. Somehow, it was kind of a crazy deal. He twisted his ankle, so he's got a swollen, swollen ankle. But other than that, we are injury-free. Um, so it just makes a, a better pool of dogs to choose from. And then, you know, a lot of times on those on those races, you might get little injuries and think that they're all healed up and everything. And then, you know, mile 600 of a dinner rod, an injury can come back when everybody's tired and um you know, that kind of a situation. So, yeah, long story short is that, no, I'm not doing any other races, and, and I'm okay with that. Now, the last part of our show we call the lightning round. We have five questions mm. for you to answer as quick as you can. Are you ready? Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm so ready. I can't wait to see what questions you guys come up with. Alaska <clears throat> or Wisconsin? Alaska. And, and, and I can... I suppose I'm not supposed to go into detail, but I will tell you the number one reason why. Ticks. Ticks. Wood, wood ticks. Lyme's disease. Wisconsin. <laughs> That's the number one reason I won't move back there. Okay. Fishing or mushing? Mm. Okay, that's a tough one. That's a good one. Um, oh, mushing. Winter or summer tours? Winter. Favorite book? Oh, that's a hard one. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, I honestly haven't been reading very much lately. Um, one of my all-time favorite books that I read when I was little is Where the Red Fern Grows. I read it a lot. 
favorite song? Okay, um, I knew this was coming, another toughie, as I have a lot. But right now, I'm really into, um, I wonder if you guys know this one, um, Dance Monkey. Yes, I know that one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good. You already gave us two people to Two people to interview. Who is one more person you you think we should interview? Okay. Um. All right. I'm going to say Jack Negemeyer. He was um, like the Mark Nordman of of Iditarod for many years, and he's he's retired, not not involved now so much. But he he was a you know trail coordinator and whatnot for probably over 20 years and has some incredible stories. So did you have a favorite episode you listened to from our podcast? Uh, I'm gonna have to say Jesse Romer was definitely one of my favorites. Um, Karen, I, I liked that one. Um, I didn't get to all of them. Um, I just probably listened to a handful. Um, Lev, that was that was a good one. Um, yeah, just just really fun to. Um, yeah, I thought I thought you guys really captured Musher's personalities and um, yeah, had really great questions and yeah, I definitely learned some things. I'd say Jesse overall was was number one, and she just continues to impress me all the time. She might be my pick this year for, for champion. Would that be amazing? Um, and she, she talked about it a little bit in the podcast, just her ability to go day after day without sleeping. Like I said, how bad it sucks, but she is kind of superhuman when it comes to that. Like I remember last year. So last year was the year that we did the trail on our own. So what that meant was that we got to, for the my first time in my life, see see the winners and see the you know top of the pack come into Nome because we got there about a day and a half before them. So that was a treat. And so she came in and she was by far and away like the most musher that like looked the most human. <laughs> and she she the whole entire day after she came in, she was all bubbly, like in the dog lot, just like telling stories of the trail, chatting up with anybody who would stop by. Like most mushers are zombies at that point. Most mushers are just like, okay, feed my dogs. I'm going to bed for a day. She spent the entire day. She's like, yeah, I haven't even slept yet. It was like 14 hours after the finish. She's like, yeah, I haven't even. Oh, I got four hours in White Mountain. That was that was great. You know, like, that was a day ago. She's like, I'm totally fine. Anyway, she's, she's on another level, so that was my favorite. Thank you, Monica, for taking time out of your day to talk with us. Good luck in the I Did Around. We will be following you. Okay, great. Um, hey, I got questions for you. Are you going to ask if I have any questions for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, uh, so what inspired you to do the podcast? We were intrigued in the I Did Around, so we just decided that we might interview some Iditarod people and see how their experience with it is. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that your collection of interviewees, as you say, is just, you know, by far and away more than anybody else has. I, I think there's like one other even podcast about Iditarod. I'm not even sure. So I think it's, I mean, it's an incredible 
you know, new avenue for information. So well done and extremely well done on your uh, interviewees. You guys have just done an incredible job. I'm sure it's probably going to get harder and harder to keep finding a new content. And I hope you continue. Thank you. Yeah. Special thanks to our guest, Monica Zappa, for being on our show this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please stop by iTunes and leave us a review. It helps with our ratings. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or people you would like to hear on the show, email us at huskytalk1 at gmail.com. If we hear from you or you leave a review, we will read it on the show. We would also like to give credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, the Iditarod Trail song. And now enjoy a clip from Monica's favorite song, Dance Monkey. Dance Monkey.